left to our own desires um, and without any self-discipline, everybody's going to be blowing it all over the place sexually. So this is a challenge for everybody married or unmarried. Yes, it can help deal with um, some of those desires for the married person. I concede that. Uh, But nevertheless, there are plenty of married people who have blown it sexually and have seen catastrophic consequences to their life. Gender and sexual identity are two areas that confront Christians today. They have divided the church more in recent years, and those who stand outside traditional views have felt shame and have been mistreated. As we discussed on a recent episode, Bobby's approach to these topics has shifted. But there are still very real, very personal, and very difficult questions that remain. On this episode, we will go on a journey. This is a journey of doubt, struggle, and resolution as we look at 10 of the most challenging questions that Christians face in today's culture. Now, if we missed one, I will hope that you will let us know in the comments of this video on our YouTube channel. The last few episodes we did on similar topics had very active comment sections. Join the conversation at youtube.com slash Christianity Still Makes Sense and leave us your thoughts. Now, Lady Gaga's song, Born This Way, immortalized our first question. And the first question is this, if it was shown that homosexuality is the result of a genetic predisposition, would that make it permissible? Bobby? Yeah, it's a good question, Tim. I know even at the outset, as you mentioned, that some of my positioning has shifted. I do want to stress that my theological and moral positioning has not changed at all. What's shifted is my recognition that we really have to figure out how we're going to minister to the LGBTQ plus community during this time. I fear that we don't have a good response for those that are theologically uh, holding on to what the Bible has traditionally taught about marriage and sexuality. My fear is that people feel like, oh, I got to walk away from Christianity or I got to become a progressive Christian or I got to go join the fragmented Methodist church. And I think that we have to figure out how are we going to send a message that is loving yet truthful. I would say one of the big arguments on the side of LGBTQ is this contention that they were born this way, right? If it was shown that homosexuality is a result of genetics and a predisposition, they think, well, this would be permissible. But I don't think that is the case. Uh, The Bible also talks about the fact that we live in a fallen world that features itself in dysfunctional ways. And that includes all of us as humans. I mean, we're born with a conscience um, and we have this sense of right and wrong. Uh, Some people though actually are born into this fallen world where their conscience feels as if it's dead, but they still have their rational faculties, even if they are sociopathic and they can't sense guilt. Uh, I would say that that particular individual, a sociopath can't act out on Uh, you know, all of their tendencies just because they don't feel guilt. Or myself uh, as a recovering alcoholic, I believe that there is a genetic aspect to alcoholism, but I don't think that's an excuse for me to, you know, act out on my, you know, predispositions. So all that to say is sure, in a fallen world, we're going to have the fall affecting every aspect of our 
human experience, be it our will, our emotions, our thoughts, and all of this um, can be impacted. Our sexuality, uh, the way that we reason about things. And so I would say, even if it was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are born with a particular predisposition toward homosexuality, we would still have the responsibility to following what the Bible says. So for example, the heterosexual, they're born with a predisposition to feel like having sex outside of marriage. Hmm. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't wait until they're married. Uh, They have that responsibility. So a heterosexual still has to, you know, make sure that they do some good application of what the Bible would have to say to govern their uh, temptations. Yeah, excellent examples. You know, I'm thinking specifically of David Wood and, you know, some of his story is uh, there's other videos on our channel about his, you know, mental issues that he has that, you know, he doesn't feel like, as as, as you said. And then you also gave several other examples. I think that's a a great, um, you know, just process that we need to go through to look at other examples. So this next question is very personal to me specifically, uh, because my family is going through this. We're kind of wading through this question as well. So for me and others in this situation, we would love to know your biblical answer. Should Christians attend a gay wedding? As I've reflected on this particular question, uh, I have felt like we're put in a position as Christians where we're answering questions. We were never, uh, you know, in a spot where we had to even address them. But with Obergefell and legalization of same-sex marriage, now we're in this position, okay, do we go to these weddings as Christians? And I've had to think through uh, without just giving a knee-jerk reaction, okay, what do you do in this situation? I mean, sometimes you might be a parent that has a child and you're not wanting to risk losing a relationship. So is it possible for a mother or father who finds out they have a child that's gay to attend their wedding, not because they agree with what their child's doing, but just out of maintaining that relationship? And so I've kind of went back and forth and ended up saying that this is more of a conscience thing. I'm probably in uh, the position now, the more I think about this, is to say, look, I I don't think you're obligated as a Christian whatsoever to go to a a gay wedding. I do think we're obligated to let that person know how much we love them. And where this is nothing in the sense we're trying to make a statement against them as a person loved by God, but rather we're just being put in a position that we feel like we're compromising our conscience. So Robert Gagnon, he's written a lot of stuff on this, and he just came out with an article, Is It Loving for a Faithful Christian to Go to a a Gay Wedding? And, you know, he says, absolutely not. Uh, A Christian shouldn't go. He says, here a believer would watch two people bow to continue in their immoral behavior. And so he likens it to attending an idol temple, uh, you know, back in the day. So I would say that this is a question that I would lean toward saying, no, I think that that's an article that people can look at. I've tried to think through the different scenarios on this. Uh, I think there are Christians that do go, but it doesn't mean they're affirming the gay wedding. They're just trying to keep this relationship intact. And that's the real question that we're trying to ask. How do we keep this relationship intact? without compromising the relationship. But I do think that, hey, you know what? It's not fair for the person that's homosexual to mandate that we show up and celebrate something that 
is diametrically opposed to our convictions. So that shouldn't be put on us either from the person that wants to get married. We should be able to love each other, even if we don't both show up at that same event. Well, again, helpful advice. You and I have had that conversation before, as you know, some of my situation as well with having family members that are inviting us to weddings, and we've had to wade through that. But I think that leads us to kind of our next question, that why does the church spend so much time addressing the LGBTQ plus community versus addressing other heterosexual sins? I can see the imbalance there for sure, but make no mistake, I don't think that it's a sign that Christians are stating that heterosexual sin is no big deal. I don't mm. think they would say that whatsoever. Uh, there is that recognition that heterosexual sex has a context in marriage. That's what a Christian would believe that wants to affirm the Bible. Nevertheless, the reason we talk about it more is because we're put on the defensive and we have gay pride month used to be just a day. Uh, we're, we're met with this stuff all year round. It's overwhelming. So it's not like we're looking to talk about this all the time. It's just the conversation. I mean, if anything, it's the LGBTQ community demanding um, our full-fledged validation agreement with this agenda that's causing so much consternation. Well, yeah, and I, I can think back over my you know ministry career is that you know, there's been support groups for several other of the things, things like porn or addiction or uh, you know people that have had extramarital affairs. Those things, I think the church is still addressing from the standpoint of this is sinful. It has been the LGBTQ plus issue that seems to be a little bit more divided, a little bit more accepted. So I think that's one one of the reasons that again we're talking about it. Other people are talking about it. And we're continuing to you know lovingly and compassionately uh, you know present the truth, but. This next one is pretty divisive, and I'm really interested in hearing your answer to this. In the Old Testament, homosexuality was punishable by death. Do you think that it should be today? Yeah. Well, I'm going to try to move through some of these questions a little bit quicker because I know that we still have a lot on our plate. Uh, Obviously, I don't think it should be um, today. I would say that if people want to look at, you know, pointing a finger, you can look at Islamic law, Sharia law being advanced. Uh, You can look at other countries that still say that it's punishable by death, like Yemen and Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan. There are places like Sudan. So there are places that are doing this, but I don't think that's the case. Uh, In the Bible, it was done under a theocracy. Keep in mind that when we look at the Bible in practicing this, this wouldn't be uncommon to even the non-believing surrounding cultures. They would have had uh, sins that would have been punishable by death and homosexuality would have been one of them. So this would not have been like something abnormal, but under the old covenant, when God was setting up his law, it wasn't just homosexuality. It would have been adultery. It would have been breaking the Sabbath. There would have been several things because God was trying to show a picture of what it looks like to live under his theocratic kingdom. And, you know, God being holy, we're to model that kind of holiness. And when we fall short of it, you know, there's a price tag for sin, which ultimately under the new covenant, Jesus eradicates the cross which I'm very thankful for. And so we shouldn't be looking for a death penalty in that way. Jesus took our death penalty on the cross. 
Well, I mentioned at the very beginning that we were going to get very personal. And so we're going to get very personal and very practical in this next question. What should a person do who has homosexual urges that is and is not attracted to the opposite gender do for a sexual outlet? Yeah, I mean, there is a difference between homosexual inclination and homosexual behavior. Um, but both heterosexual and homosexual non-married people have to practice the same thing, and that is governing their lusts, fleeing youthful lusts. And so it's just important that uh, for anybody that's not married um, to practice purity. And that means we don't feed the beast, so to speak. Uh, we have to make sure that we take every thought captive, that we realize that God can help us with temptation, that every time we look, we get a little bit weaker. Every time we look away, we get a little bit stronger. So we just want to have a good mindset. We want to make sure that we're trying to think pure, that we're not objectifying each other, that we're not looking at pornography, that we're just trying to keep our thoughts in a pure place that is pleasing to the Lord. And so a lot of what's going on there, this isn't any different for the homosexual as it is for the heterosexual that's not married, you've got sexual desires and those sexual desires need to be ran through the filter of God's word in order to wash it, uh, to keep us protected and washed in purity. Well, and I do think I'll, I'll uh, kind of add on, there are stories of people that, you know, maybe their, you know, tendency is homosexuality, but they end up marrying someone of the opposite sex and, uh, you know, still having, you know, a fulfilled life and, and all of that. So that's not necessarily out of the question if, you know, God deems that. But as you said, we're moving through these quickly. Let's go to our next question. Does Christian opposition to homosexuality encourage homophobia? Yeah, let me answer that. And let me also say, uh, you know, as it relates to the next point too, Tim, I mean, being married doesn't prevent people from having to practice sexual self-control as well. Yeah. I mean, our sexual appetites are powerful and um, they go beyond just normally staying you know, in this spot where we don't think about anybody else. Like we have to constantly guard our thoughts and even as married people, because, mm -hmm. you know, our, left to our own desires um, and without any self-discipline, everybody's going to be blowing it all over the place sexually. So right. this is a challenge for everybody married or unmarried. Yes, it can help deal with um, some of those desires for the married person, I concede that. Uh, but nevertheless, there are plenty of married people who have blown it sexually and have seen catastrophic consequences to their life. I don't think opposition, though, Tim, to your next question of homosexuality means someone's homophobic. Um, if anything, today, there's more opposition to Christianity than there is to homosexuality. So is that sort of a Christian phobia? I would say uh, Beckett Cook in his uh, piece, A Change of Affection, A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption, writes, the more the LGBTQ community comes out of the closet, the more Christians are expected to go into the closet. The irony is too absurd to fathom. I mean, that's what I see happening today is you have a lot of Christians, if anything, they're fearful to say anything against LGBTQ community for looking homophobic, but the LGBTQ community doesn't have a problem trying to silence the church. And that looks like a Christian phobia. 
Yeah. So, okay. I, I do want to ask a question about preferred pronouns, but before we get there, I just want to remind our audience that this is a listener supported show. You can help support us by heading over to ChristianityStillMakesSense.com and click on donate. Or one of the other things that you can do to help support the show is head on over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Christianity Still Makes Sense. Like this video, share it with your network. That really helps us. You can also subscribe while you are there. So Bobby, this is kind of a hot topic. We have people like Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro, who are saying that we shouldn't use, uh, you know, preferred pronouns for people, uh, that it kind of gives into this lie, this delusion. Um, other people are, are saying that the opposite, that, man, why wouldn't you just be nice and, and have a conversation and use the preferred pronouns that they're using? So should we use people's preferred gender pronouns? This is like attending uh, the, the homosexual wedding. This is one of these questions that we never thought we would be having to grapple with. Yeah. Um, Rosaria Butterfield, who taught queer theory, uh, was living with another uh, lady, uh, experienced a radical conversion, is now a Presbyterian pastor's wife. And she had this to say recently as she came out uh, writing about this. She put, my use of transgender pronouns was not a mistake. It was a sin. Public sin requires public repentance, not course correction. I have publicly sinned on the issue of transgender pronouns, which I have carelessly used in books and articles. I have publicly sinned by advocating for the use of transgender pronouns in interviews and public Q&As. Why did I do this? I have a bunch of lame and backside covering excuses. Here are a few. It was a carryover from my gay activist days. I wanted to meet everyone where they were and do nothing to provoke insult. So that was interesting. She goes on, Christians who use the moral lens of the LGBTQ plus personhood are not merely a soft presence in the enemy camp. Their malleability makes them pudding in the enemy's hand. They make false converts to a counterfeit gospel that bends the knee to a fictional identity of LGBTQ plus. This woofish theology seeds the moral language to the left by using transgender pronouns as a moral lens respect, courtesy, hospitality. They reject the clarity of the word of God and replace it with garbage. So then she answers the question, how is using transgendered pronouns sinful, you might ask? You, she says, using transgendered pronouns is a sin against the ninth commandment and encourages people to sin against the 10th commandment. Using transgender pronouns is a sin against the creation ordinance. Using transgender pronouns is a sin against image bearing. Using transgender pronouns discourages a believer's progressive sanctification and falsifies the gospel. Using transgender pronouns cheapens redemption and it tramples on the blood of Christ. Using transgender pronouns fails to love my neighbor as myself. Using transgender pronouns fails to offer genuine Christian hospitality and instead yields the definition of hospitality to, to liberal communitarianism identity politics, and human flourishing. I repent. Wow, that's some strong language. And she wrote this in a blog entitled, um, you know, why I no longer use transgender pronouns and why you shouldn't either. 
So those are so, just her thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sobering and straightforward words from Rosario Butterfield yeah. there, who, again, maybe carries maybe a little bit more weight with somebody who's on the other side because she was in that community. Yeah. She was teaching that. She really, uh, you know, kind of understood firsthand some of those situations. But uh, again, one of the lingering questions and our next question is, you know, we had the Exodus movement, kind of that the gay transition, uh, you know, kind of getting out of this, uh, you know, your sexual desires and your urges. Can you be healed from that? So this next question is, so for those people who struggle with same-sex attraction and, and they want help, should they, can they go to the church for help? And, and what should the church's position be to help them? William Lane Craig uh, offered some advice. You know, we're a big fan of Dr. Craig. He put, first, if you are a homosexual, feel that inclination, uh, keep yourself pure. If you are unmarried, you should practice abstinence from all sexual activity. I know this is difficult, but really what God is asking you to do is pretty much the same thing that he requires of all single people. That means not only keeping your body pure, but especially your mind. Just as heterosexual men should avoid pornography and fantasizing, you too need to keep your thought life clean. Resist the temptation to rationalize sin by saying, God made me this way. God has made it very clear that he does not want you to indulge your desires, but to honor him by keeping your mind and body pure. Finally, seek professional Christian counseling. With time and effort, you can come to enjoy normal heterosexual relations with your spouse. There is hope. So that's something that William Lane Craig went on to share uh, as it relates to a person who continues to struggle with same-sex attraction. Uh, now, I don't think everybody who struggles uh, with same-sex attraction, that they're going to find that that just goes away completely, but they can find it easier to not act out. They can find a way to be faithful to the Lord. Uh, but it doesn't mean that somebody who is you know, homosexual and attraction is going to all of a sudden become, you know, heterosexual. That can happen with some people and it has happened with some people, but we shouldn't expect that that means that our sexual uh, desires are going to automatically become heterosexual because we practice these things. We can hope that to be the case, but even if you have heterosexual desires, you have to keep those in check as well, again, because God's context is between a man and a wife in the context of marriage. Well, excellent advice and great quote from William Lane Craig there. Let's move on to our next question. And this is about transgender sports. A new Gallup poll says this, a larger majority of Americans now in 2023, 69%, than in 2021, only 62% say that transgender athletes should only be allowed to compete on sports teams that conform with their birth gender. That's what Americans say. But what do we say, uh, drawing on biblical principles, Bobby, about transgenders and playing in, in sports? I mean, you get even an Olympia, Olympic athlete like Bruce Jenner, and we know uh, him going through kind of his sex change and everything. He's adamant that a male that becomes, um, you know, his preferred gender, so to speak, and not that I believe he can really become that, but wants to think that he has become a she, uh, he is going to maintain that there's no room for a male to compete in female sports. It's just not going to work. And I would agree. And I think that uh, of the LGBTQ letters, this is going to be the biggest challenge in the future. I think 
there's a lot of people that are getting fed up with target tuck suits and, uh, you know, lap dances going on in libraries, uh, for kids, uh, for girls that are getting their, you know, lifelong dreams taken away from them by men posing as females. I think this has become really problematic. And I think this area is going to be challenged more and more. While I don't know that you'll see the homosexual piece being is challenged. I think most people in the culture have went that way, but they're not all in alignment as it relates to the T. Well, we've reached our last question, and that is, is getting a sex change the solution for a person with gender dysphoria? Yeah, I would say I don't think so. I, I, I don't, there's plenty of people that have had a sex change and it doesn't fix it. Um, you know, then some would say, well, what about cross-dressing? I, I, this has got to be a hard, a hard thing to go through in life. I mean, imagine looking in the mirror and feeling like you're the opposite sex of what your body presents. This is a very challenging issue here. Uh, there is such a condition as an intersex condition where people are born with both male and female and, you know, anatomy. In that instance, I can see how somebody uh, would end up, you know, trying to have a, a sex change that would model what they feel more. But nevertheless, uh, you know, the chromosomes reveal uh, what the, the gender is. So I don't think that this is the answer. Um, I certainly don't think it's the answer for kids. I think that if a grown adult decides to do this, you know, it should be something that they really think through tremendously on what this entails. Uh, but I don't think that getting this is the solution, Tim. I think that the deeper thing is to try to address what's going on in our heart of hearts that's making me feel this way. Well, we did it, Bobby. We hit all 10 questions. Any final <laughs> thoughts or comments that you want to make before we wrap up today's show? No, ma'am. Uh, hey, it's been Pride Month, so we're trying to you know, equip the church in this time just to make sure that they feel like they've got some tools. So here they are. Amen to that. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show is sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.